Hello, everybody. Welcome to Boxing Science Podcast. If you're not subscribed yet, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on any future content. In this week's episode, we're going to be answering your questions that you leave on YouTube and also in the YouTube comments on some of our videos. From bicep curls for boxing, how to optimize red zone adaptations, and also training for heavyweight boxers. Okay, so the first question, why lifting weights like bicep curls, tricep extensions, making me slow for punching? How can I lift without losing power, speed, and force of the punch? In our original testing battery at Boxing Science, we did correlations of a range of different performance tests with the punching action. Part of these tests, we actually did a body composition assessment using the in-body machine. And with the in-body machine, it can tell you segmental analysis and the distribution of your muscle mass. So not only how much muscle mass that you have, but where that's distributed around the body, whether that's the arms, the trunk, or the lower body. We saw the highest correlation being with trunk muscle mass at the core. In fact, this was the highest correlation towards punching force out of all the different performance tests. So that means when making weight or looking to put on muscle mass, we wanted to try and optimize lean mass of the trunk. And then the second one was lower body mass, was a, a medium correlation with the med ball punch throw distance. There was no correlation with arm mass. So that means that we're not wanting to put on too much muscle mass of the arms. So when it comes to bicep curls and tricep extensions, we only do this when an athlete might have specific training goals or working in a particular weight category. So when we're wanting to put on muscle or wanting to train a certain area, we're not wanting to do too much of the arms because we don't want to be slowing the punch down. And the reason why it might not correlate as well to punching power is because we have this double peaking activation. So most of the power and speed comes from this lower body and torso rotation. Our arm relaxes as we go towards the target and then stiffens upon impact. So this means that when we're actually throwing punches, our arm stays quite relaxed. So we're not actually needing that much arm muscle there. If we are carrying more muscle, we are essentially making the weight of the arm increase. That means that we need to generate more speed and power from the social rotation to be able to deliver that punch fast and hard. So if we're increasing the weight, that'll end up slowing it down. Also, if we're creating tension through that punch, we're then gonna be slowing it down because the arm needs to be relaxed. So this is why we don't do too much arm work for boxing. Now, there is particular reasons why we would do arm work, whether an athlete has gone for a specific goal in terms of their fighting style, rehabbing from an injury, where they're looking to try and increase like strength of the arms, and also working with female athletes because we see that upper body strength being a key area that we need to improve on, and also for heavyweight boxers because they're having to expose themselves to high impact forces because they are they'd be able to punch so hard. So when we're actually training arms, we want to make sure that we're still meeting the demands of the sport. We're not wanting to put on slow twitch fibers, unnecessary bulk. We want it to, to be functional muscle and meet the demands of the sport, which is throwing fast and forceful punches. So we adapt the training methods. We don't just do hundreds of bicep curls or lower weight. We're looking to do exercises that are actually going to benefit our athletes. So we'll do blood flow restriction training, which is known to recruit type two muscle fibers. That means that that's gonna help contribute to fast and explosive actions rather than slow twitch muscle fibers. Exercises with increased eccentric demand, which is known to 
strengthen the muscle and also experiencing high loads, which will then transfer to like deceleration. And deceleration is quite important for when coming into contact or missing an opponent. If we can't decelerate effectively, that'll end up kind of jarring the elbow. And this is why a lot of athletes end up getting like either shoulder or elbow injuries. So we're looking to increase the eccentric loading during exercises such as cheat curls and the tricep pushdown. And we also do isometrics. Isometrics will be good for tendon health, joint specific strength. So if we're looking at uppercut, we're driving into the bar and looking to be like as strong as forceful at a similar joint angle that you would land an uppercut. And also this is great for tendon health. So a lot of like kind of injuries around the elbow tendons and the wrists and the shoulders, isometrics, doing bicep curl isometrics or tricep push down isometrics. These are really good for either rehabbing or preventing these kind of injuries. That's the explanation of arm training for boxing, reasons why we don't see it as a huge priority, but when and how we would put this into a program, meeting the specific goals of an athlete, and also making sure that we're powering up performance. Okay, I've got a question about our central adaptation session, which is four minutes on and two minutes off. How many reps is better, four repetitions, or six repetitions. In your video about VO2 max in this run, you mentioned that you want to be in the red zone between six and 14 minutes. Can we stay in for more than 14 minutes? My advice is around this session, rather than doing increased volume, is look to try and increase the intensity. So try and increase the running speed. And with this, if you try and increase that running speed over four repetitions, this will get you closer towards your VO2 max rather than trying to do too much and doing six repetitions. And then this will basically get too much time in the red zone, too much kind of lower body loading. And this can affect how you train and perform in your subsequent training sessions, in particular, your boxing training session. The reason why I say between six and 14 minutes is because six is probably the minimum effective dose and 14 is really good, but also anything above 14 might actually affect your performance in your subsequent training sessions. So you're allowed to go over 14 if you want to, it's not like a health risk to go over 14, but it might have a subsequent effect on your sessions later on in the week. I'd be like more sticking towards four or five repetitions, six is the upper limit if you really wanted to push yourself. And then rather than attacking it by increasing the volume, I've been more looking to try and creep up that intensity. Now, how do you actually do that? So I've been looking to do wave loading in that four minutes because the jump between 14 and 15 kilometers an hour might be quite tough for the athlete. So maybe you do the first minute on 15 kilometers an hour, drop it to 14, bring it back up to 15 and then back down to 14. You're bringing up that average of that running speed up and also you going to be them spikes in intensity likely to have a response on the heart rate which will help elevate your heart rate into like higher percentage of your maximum heart rate and getting more red zone adaptations there's a session that we call the dragon's back which is on the screen now which is very particular with this wave loading which will get you closer towards your vo2 max so this is where we're really going for that wave loading various stages and really looking to try and increase that average speed over the four minute set.
and this is only done for four repetitions, but you're more than likely to get 10, 12, and maybe even 14 minutes in that red zone. Next question, when to perform 30 second max out sprint at the beginning of the week or the end, how to avoid being overtrained. This comes to like kind of programming in general and how to structure your training week, whether to put it all at the start or all at the end. Really, if you're clumping your training together, that's when you're going to end up feeling overtrained and overreach. So overtraining is a, a very chronic kind of response to training and can happen over several weeks, several months of increased training load. What you're referring to there is overreaching and overreaching can happen over just a few days worth of training. So if you're putting all your training towards the back end of the week and putting them too close and not being able to recover, then you're going to get that overreaching response. I'd be looking to distribute the training, 30 second max out sprints over the week. So typically at Boxing Science, we'd be doing it on the first or second day of the training week, so Monday or Tuesday. We'd bring down that training load on the Wednesday, do an active recovery day. And then we'd be doing 30 second max out sprints either on the Thursday or the Friday. And then we'd do a session at the weekend. With 30 second max out sprints, I would be doing either two or three sessions a week. A lot of our fighters like doing it only twice a week and then adding like a red zone running there. Even though it's a mix of adaptations, they know that they're getting fitter through doing the four minutes on, two minutes off and also doing calorie burning because like with 30 second max out sprints, they're not really burning too much energy on that because they're only doing like two minutes worth of activity. To benefit the weight making process, we put in like a long interval session in there and then only do two 30 second max out sprints. And with this, we don't really feel that our athletes are getting overworked or overtrained. Don't really see an overreaching response when they're doing 30 second max out sprint phase. How should a fighter stay on weight and stay in shape for months if we have an upcoming tournament lined up without losing energy or getting injuries. So for amateur boxers, we normally say anything around 5 to 7% of the body weight being a target because we can safely lose that weight in a relatively short amount of time, so four or five weeks. Rather than staying within that 5% and staying on weight all the time, where you're potentially reducing that body fat, which will affect hormone production and also being on a low energy balance as well and being on an energy deficit. We want to make sure that athletes are in an energy surplus so we can promote physical adaptations. Give yourself a target anywhere between 5 and 7% of your target mass. When it comes to five or six weeks out from competition, then start to diet down to get towards around about 3% and then you'll be able to drop it around about two weeks out from competition. So that's a general rule of thumb. If you're wanting more information about this, go and check out our nutrition handbook. The link is in the description. So this question is about strength training for heavyweight boxers. Do I need to train four days a week to get muscle power, strength and hypertrophy? As you know that in heavyweights, they're big muscular guys and tall and throw deadly punches, which is very true. So talking about strength training for heavyweight boxers and how frequently that they do it. Any other weight, so from flyweight through to cruiserweight, I normally do two strength training sessions a week, unless they've actually got a, an injury or they're looking to move up weight division. For heavyweights, I suggest to do three weight sessions a week. Now, the reason why I wouldn't go up to like something like four strength training sessions a week is because the goal is to still be conditioned 
and be able to improve your technical performance. Strength training is really important for all athletes, especially heavyweights, but it still comes for me like third or fourth down the pecking order behind boxing, your sparring, your conditioning, and then you've got your strength training. So the last thing that I want to do is put in too much strength training in there that'll take your energy away from your other sessions. And also you don't want to be getting too sore from that strength training as well, which will affect your performance in the other sessions. So I'd like to do three training sessions, strength training sessions with heavyweights. And that has two key sessions where we do our key lifts, such as trap bar, deadlift, box squats. We do our heavy pressing in these sessions as well. And the third session is more like an assistance session. So where we're looking for higher volume over exercises such as like lunges or reverse cable flies and doing some BFR work as well. So bicep curls and tricep extensions using the BFR cuffs. And this is like kind of increase that volume, but lower the intensity in there. So that is not putting too much strain on the tendons and ligaments that like heavy training, heavy strength training might do. So it's like reducing that intensity, but increasing that volume and that time under tension to simulate hypertrophy responses. Okay, this question has come on one of our videos on grip strength for boxing. Where should I start after just having recovered from wrist injuries? So it depends on the extremity of the injury. Say you've got surgery, I would be looking to not load the hand and be looking to do like, like wrist weights or ankle weights on the wrist and doing a range of different exercises that challenges the strength of the arms and the forearms doing stuff like reverse curls, bicep curls, doing it with BFR as well. And then start building up from there with light loaded exercises. So again, using BFR with the dumbbells or doing like the sand based drills as well. So this really helps Jordan Gill in his recovery from hand surgery because this is not like straining the muscles, not putting the wrists under any or the hand under increased weight loads but it's helping condition the muscles around the hand and the wrist and the forearms. So doing this sand bucket drill, you'd be doing it for five minutes and you'd be changing the emphasis of the hand movement every minute. And doing this with blood flow restriction cuffs, this helps increase that load on the arms so it helps stimulate them adaptations. So then you'd move on to doing some wrist extension and flexion work to increase that range in the wrists, but you wouldn't be doing this under load. You'd be doing pure mobility exercises. To do loaded exercises, I'd start with keeping the wrist rigid and doing stuff like pinch grip holds or farmer walks, farmer walks with the bar as well, reverse wrist curls, and more intensive kind of hand strengthening, wrist strengthening exercises. This question, a general rule for gaining muscle without losing speed. Maximum load for a few explosive reps and rest time between the sets. So when talking about our maximum strength training, we're always looking to maintain speed through every single training phase. So we'd be looking to extended warm-ups where we'll do plyometric drills before going into lifting heavy, let's say on the trap bar, on the pressing actions, and also on our squatting actions as well. And also with our maximum strength training phase, this only lasts for three or four weeks before moving on to and transferring them gains in strength into lighter, faster, more explosive actions. And to make sure that we're optimizing maximum strength, we limit the repetitions to maybe two, three, or five repetitions 
we'll have a rest period of three to four minutes. And then we're also going to be doing between three and five sets. And this all depends on athlete based on their training history, their training goals, and also their training availability as well. Various different ways that we can still train strength, like don't want to be getting scared about lifting heavy and that's going to slow you down because in the program, there's still a lot of things that we can do around speed and that transfer of strength into the punching action. Last question, started doing three hit sessions per week for the last three weeks. Problem is that my fitness has improved and now it's a struggle to reach the red zone. So this is a problem that we see quite often where they're struggling to reach the red zone. And there's a few different reasons why this person might be struggling, might have been doing the same session type for the last few weeks, adapted and might need a new training stimulus and different session to stimulate them responses to get into the red zone. Also, when you're struggling to get into the red zone after a certain amount of weeks, this will mean that you might need to increase that running speed. So there's a few different things that you can do. You can do pyramid sessions or wave loading during the sets. So breaking up the sets to then try and run faster. That running faster will help stimulate increases in heart rate. So a key thing to do if you're struggling to get into the red zone is optimizing your warm-up. A lot of people will just get the session in front of them. Let's say it's four minutes on, two minutes off and get straight into that workout. And what's likely to happen, that first rep feels so long and also it feels physically quite difficult. And what you're likely to see in your heart rate is a very slow response. So your heart rate isn't really getting up. You might be stumbling around between 80 and 90% your maximum heart rate and it's going up relatively slow. What you want to do is to expose your body to higher heart rate before getting into that first set. So this is switching on your VO2 kinetics, getting that engine revved up, ready to perform. So you wanna be doing a warm up that's going towards 80% of your target speed, maybe even touching 90% or even like touching your target speed just before you go into your first working set. And what this does is get your body up to that target heart rate, at 85% to 90% of your maximum heart rate. Rest one minute, and then when you start that first set, your heart rate will want to go up towards that heart rate that you just left in your warm-up. So it'll be very quickly go return back to 85% and above. With that going over a four-minute rep, you'll very quickly get into that red zone. So this will make that feel a lot easier because your body's switched on and ready to go. It will help you have that ability to get into the red zone and we'll also increase that time in the red zone so you're helping get more out of the session. So you're increasing that physical adaptation that you're getting from the session. And this warm up is very simple. You do four minutes on, one minute off, and then you go into your working set. And with this four minutes, you're wanting to work towards 80% of the speed that you're targeting on that first rep or you're wanting to even creep up towards the target speed of your first rep. So I'm creeping towards 15 kilometers an hour at the end of the four minutes, getting to around about 85% to 90% of your maximum heart rate. We're resting one minute and then we're going into that first set. Try that out in your next workout and let me know how you get on. Okay guys, so that's the end of this week's podcast. Thank you very much for watching or listening. If you're not subscribed yet, whatever device or channel that you're on, whether it's YouTube, Spotify, Apple, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on any future content. Hit the like button or give us a rating 
because this will help us grow as a podcast and being able to give you even more content. Thank you very much for watching and listening. Hopefully see you on the next episode of the Boxing Science Podcast.